Well, welcome to Grace, y'all. Let me extend the same welcome to you that I've read before from another church, and it goes like this. We extend a special welcome to those who are single, married, divorced, filthy rich, dirt poor, e no habla inglés. We extend a special welcome to those who are crying newborns, skinny as a rail, or could afford to lose a few pounds. We welcome you if you can sing like Andrea Bocelli or like our pastor who can't carry a note in a bucket. You're welcome here if you're just browsing, just woke up, or just got out of jail. We extend a special welcome to those who are over 60 but not grown up yet and to teenagers who are growing up too fast. We welcome soccer moms, NASCAR dads, starving artists, tree huggers, latte sippers, vegetarians, junk food eaters. We welcome those who are in recovery or are still addicted. We welcome you if you're having problems or you're down in the dumps or if you don't like organized religion. We've been there too. If you blew all your money, your offering money at the dog track, you're welcome here. We welcome those who are inked, pierced, or both. We offer a special welcome to those who could use a prayer right now or had religion shoved down your throat as a kid or got lost in traffic and wound up here by mistake. We welcome tourists, seekers, doubters, bleeding hearts, and you. Isn't that glorious? That's what the church is supposed to be like, and that's what we want grace to be like. And so you are welcome here in this church. We hope that you find grace to be a place where you can heal up if you've been beaten up by churches or if you've been beaten up by religion. We want this church to be green pastures and still waters for you, a place of rest. We have prayed diligently that the Holy Spirit would help us to create a gospel culture of gospel plus safety plus time here at Grace. That's what we're aiming for. We want this church to be a safe place for disciples who feel like failures, where they hear good news every single week and where they can experience the felt love of God in community. And that's really what Paul is getting at as he wraps up 2 Corinthians. He's, he wants them to experience the felt love of God in community, in a church family. So turn to 2 Corinthians 13, and while you do that, let me tell you where we're headed, Lord willing, in the coming weeks. Pastor James is going to be preaching the next two weeks. And then beginning November 28th, on the first Sunday of Advent, we'll spend some time in the Gospel of Luke for our Christmas series, and then at the beginning of the year, we'll come back to the last verse in 2 Corinthians. I think we should start the new year by thinking about the Trinitarian God that we love and serve, who is found in verse 14. So we're going to hold that off till the beginning of the year. Here's our big idea today, and I'm just stealing it from something Paul said in Romans chapter 15. Welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. And that's sort of what 
Paul is getting at in this little paragraph that we're going to look at today. So 2 Corinthians 13, look at verse 11 and hear the word of the Lord. Finally, brothers, rejoice, aim for restoration, comfort one another, agree with one another, live in peace, and the God of love and peace will be with you. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the saints greet you. So Paul has reached the end of his letter. I don't know if his pen was running low on ink or not, but the Spirit has inspired him to begin to wrap it up. And he wraps it up with these really kind of short commandments that he gives him. I kind of picture Paul like a parent running down the driveway as their son or daughter is leaving for college. So kind of picture Paul running down the driveway, yelling and screaming at the Corinthian church, don't forget to rejoice And aim for restoration in all of your relationships. And comfort others. And agree with one another. And live in peace. Oh, and greet one another with a holy kiss. We'll talk about that at the end, okay? What we see in these three verses is what the church should be like. This is what we're shooting for here. This little paragraph. Now, we're not going to do it perfectly because, surprise, we're sinners. Churches are full of sinners. Churches make mistakes. Churches hurt people. Churches do wrong. Churches ignore wrong. Churches let people down. And churches sin. But that's no reason to stay away from the church. So let me just say this now, and you've heard me say this many times. This church is full of sinners. Grace is full of sinners who have been saved by grace. And though we are in Christ and we are secure and we are forgiven, we can still really mess things up, can't we? And if you don't know that about us, that we are sinners, then you will be unnecessarily disappointed. Because this church is full of sinners, then we will let you down and we will make mistakes and we will sin. And most of the time, we will not do those things intentionally. But because we're sinners, we might do those things on purpose, right? We're sinners. We might intentionally do those things. I hope we don't. But we are not perfect here. So if you're a visitor here, you're new to grace, you need to know this about this church is that we are messed up and we have issues and we are not perfect. And if you don't understand that about us, you will unnecessarily be disappointed. Only one person here has his act together and his name is Jesus. So no, we're not a perfect church. In fact, there is no perfect church. And if you're looking for a perfect church and you find it, It will no longer be a perfect church the moment that you show up. So let that sink in. I think Spurgeon said, if you're looking for a perfect church, you're only going to find it in heaven. Okay, let's look at what Paul says to the very messy, not perfect, they definitely have issues, Corinthian church. In verse 11, Paul says, finally, brothers, rejoice. Though the Corinthians have many, many problems, like cliques and unrepentant sexual immorality and lawsuits against one another and getting drunk while taking communion, if you can believe that, 
and misunderstanding and abusing spiritual gifts and falling for the works righteousness theology of the super apostles and turning their back and backstabbing Paul, they have even more reason to rejoice. They are in Christ. They live in a fathered world. They have the Spirit. And that same Holy Spirit was at work in this church family. Even as the letter of 2 Corinthians was being read for the first time in front of the whole congregation, the Holy Spirit was at work in their hearts to transform them. And so for 13 chapters, Paul has laid out a feast of gospel promises for them. They don't have to earn their way to God by being good enough, like the super apostles were saying. Jesus paid it all, and so the pressure is off now. They don't have to prove themselves. Therefore, they can rejoice. And part of that rejoicing should include the fact that the Holy Spirit is at work in their church, and he will bring about the transformation that this messy church needs as they behold the glory of God in the face of Christ. And because Paul knows that the Spirit is at work, he says, aim for restoration. It's the same word that I mentioned last week. It it was used in Paul's day of resetting a broken bone. So Paul is calling on the entire church to work towards reconciliation, to work towards healing in their relationships. They needed to be united They needed healing. It was time for them to grow up spiritually and to aim for maturity. This means then that at the bare minimum as disciples, we should want to heal every relationship that we can. We should have a heart to see reconciliation take place where relationships go haywire. Now, of course, we will not always be able to do that. We live in a fallen, sinful world, and some relationships may not find ultimate healing until Jesus returns. No matter how hard we try, no matter how much we pray. My guess is that you've probably been involved in some situations like this, where you wanted restoration and healing, and you prayed, and you did what you could, but it just didn't happen. Still, we should do our best to do everything within our power to see every strained and broken relationship healed up. Churches should be places where bones get reset, where relationally broken bones get reset and heal up. It will take time. It will take a lot of wisdom, a lot of gospel therapy, And we are going to have to stay dependent on the Holy Spirit or we may do further damage to people and those relationships. So the maturity that Paul wants for the Corinthian church includes relational harmony. Spiritual maturity includes broken relationships being healed. It's not just understanding doctrine. It's not just knowing a lot of theology. The spiritually mature person knows doctrine. They know their theology, yes, but they also have to know that relationally broken bones need mending. They need healing, and they should do whatever they can to see that healing take place. 
And that's what we want here at Grace. We want this to be a church of healing and restoration. So that means rather than avoiding those awkward face-to-face conversations, and we all avoid those, don't we? We don't want to have those awkward face-to-face conversations. But instead of avoiding the awkward face-to-face conversations that we know we must have because a relationship is at stake, instead of avoiding those conversations, we should be learning how to initiate them. Part of resetting relationally broken bones is having long overdue conversations with others that we have allowed to go unresolved. And when we let them go unresolved, they only create more distance and more sorrow, don't they? And then, you know what happens next, right? Things get weird, don't they? We probably all put off hard conversations. And then what? Things just got weird. And you're like, I don't like this feeling. I don't even know what's really going on. But it just feels like there's something. Let's not let our relationships get weird, okay? Let me ask you today, who do you need to call today or this week and say very humbly and very dependent on the Spirit, hey, things feel weird between us. And it may just be me misperceiving things and I may be totally off because I can be an idiot and I read into things way too much. But I don't want to take a chance on unnecessarily damaging our relationship. Can we talk Who do you need to call today and say, hey, things feel weird. Let's be a church that has long overdue, hard conversations with others so that things don't get weird. And you might call somebody up and say, hey, things feel weird. And they may be like, really? I don't sense that at all. And then you realize, oh, it's just me reading into everything because I'm so neurotic, okay? You may call someone up and they're like, I don't have anything against you. So if you're like me and you don't like having awkward face-to-face conversations that have become long overdue and that have created distance and sorrow, then you need to realize just how much you need the Holy Spirit. If we're going to be a resetting, relationally, relationally broken bones kind of church, then we better embrace how dependent on the Holy Spirit we really are. We better get comfortable asking Him for help because some relational breaks and strains are very tender. And we better have the Spirit's help or else we will do even more damage to the people that we love. But then moving on, Paul says in verse 11, along these same healing lines, he says, comfort one another. The word used here by Paul for comfort has the idea of coming alongside one, alongside someone and consoling them and cheering them on strengthening them and refreshing them spiritually. Sometimes this word gets translated not just comfort, but as encouragement. In fact, it's the word that Jesus himself used to describe the Holy Spirit who we are all dependent on. In John 14, Jesus uses the noun form of this word. He said that he was returning to the Father, but that he would send the helper. There's the word, the Holy Spirit. It's the same word here for comfort. This is what the Holy Spirit does for God's children. He helps us. He comforts us. He encourages us. He cheers us on. Can you stop for a minute and try to imagine the
the Holy Spirit cheering you on? He does. The Holy Spirit is in the stands, and he's cheering you on, and he's cheering this church on, and he's saying to us, you can do it, Grace Baptist. I'm with you. I'm right beside you. I'm working in and through your church family. Even when things get weird, don't give up. Don't quit. Keep serving. Keep loving one another. Keep encouraging one another. Aim for restoration. Reset those broken relational bones. You can do it. That's what the Spirit is saying to us today. He's cheering us on. And then we are called to do that same cheering on for one another. That's what Paul wants the Corinthians to do. Because Paul knows how beneficial this kind of comfort and encouragement is. He told the Corinthians back in chapter 7 that God comforted him through the coming of his friend Titus. And that comfort and that encouragement led Paul to rejoice, which is exactly what he's encouraging the Corinthians to do here. He was comforted by Titus, who was comforted by the Corinthian church. And so at a time in his life, when Paul was down in the dumps and weary and depleted and full of tears, Titus passed on this encouragement to him. So Paul knows what that encouragement did for him, and so he wants the Corinthians to go and do the same for one another. But let's be quick to understand that it's not Titus or Paul or us from whom this encouragement and comfort comes. The source of all comfort, the source of all encouragement is God. We are just middlemen. That's it. Which means you don't have to have a PhD in pastoral leadership to be able to comfort and encourage someone. You just need to know Jesus. You just need to know Jesus and connect people to him, connect people to his word, connect people to his promises. Isn't that great? God makes it so easy for us to minister to others. He sets the bar very low. He gives us a very low, soft pitch. Anybody can hit it. He doesn't make it difficult for us to join him on his mission of encouraging and comforting his people. We don't have to be spiritual superheroes in order to cheer someone on. We can all be involved. And I don't know about you, but that is such good news for people like me who feel so inadequate. We want to be a church where encouragement is the norm, where it's part of our DNA, where people feel it and sense it often. And this is where God designed you primarily to get your encouragement here at Grace. Not necessarily listening to a preacher on the radio. That's good. But this is the primary place where God designed you to receive encouragement. So get involved and meet people and serve. You need the comfort and encouragement of God that comes not just on Sunday here through his word, but also through his people. You need to be here on Sunday. And some of you watching online may have legitimate reasons why you're not here. And I understand that. And I'm willing to bet there are people who are watching online who could be here. But you've settled for couch church. And I'm not trying to shame you or bully you or anything. 
I'm just giving you a challenge like Paul here that you need to be involved in person with your family if you're able to. You can't do all the one another's that the Bible calls you to do through a computer or a TV screen. And if you are here today in person and you feel alone and isolated, then just get involved here. Start serving somewhere. Come be a part of this church family. Show up at events. Come on Sunday and Wednesday evening prayer times. You will meet people. Sunday night at 5.30. Wednesday night at 6 o'clock. If you feel isolated and alone, there's a great place for you to jump in right there. Or come to our Sunday evening service at 6 p.m. Or join a Sunday school class on Sunday morning. Or join one of our Bible studies. There's a men's Bible study on Wednesday morning that meets. Next week, the Women of Grace have an event on November 19th. Teenagers, which is coming up this Saturday, October 13th. Come be a part. And don't be shy. Just show up. Hey, listen, I get it. I'm socially awkward, okay? I'm an introvert. Speaking in front of 10 million people doesn't faze me at all. Get me in a room with a few people and, man, (laughs) I'm dying, okay? All the introverts said amen, right? I get it. If you feel socially awkward, like you don't want to show up, just show up, okay? Just show up and find me and say, I feel very awkward. And I'll be like, me too, okay? I just, if there's anyone out there who just feels awkward connecting, listen, you need to be connected here in this church in some way. And so if you feel awkward or shy, just show up and find me, okay? And I'll be more awkward than you in that moment, okay? Be a part. And I promise you the Holy Spirit will meet you here through other people And then you can take that encouragement and that comfort that you receive and you can begin to pass it on to others. And so let this be the banner over all of our ministries here at Grace, okay? Welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. And I think we do this well at Grace. We really do. We are a church who welcomes one another. We are a church of encouragers. We really do care for one another. We really do come alongside one another and cheer one another on, but let's keep at it. Let's continue to come alongside one another and continue cheering one another on. And the truth is that we all need encouragement at some point, don't we? None of us are so spiritually mature that we don't need the kind of encouragement and comfort that Paul is talking about here. None of us reach that place where we say, I have enough encouragement in my life. And here's the thing about encouragement. You can never be too encouraged. And God never sets a limit on encouragement in the Bible. Isn't that great? God never tells us, y'all better not cheer one another on too much or I'm going to zap you. He doesn't do that. But then Paul encourages the Corinthians in verse 11 to agree with one another. When Paul says this, he doesn't mean that they all have to agree on everything, every issue, all the time. He's not calling on them to all agree that mayonnaise comes from the devil. That would be a good thing to agree on, wouldn't it? But some of you here today really love mayonnaise. And those of us here today who really hate mayonnaise, we want to ask you, who hurt you? (laughs) 
Paul is not calling for agreement on all issues because he knows that's impossible, especially in our day and time, right? What he's asking them to do is to be unified. But that involves dying to self, which is why churches are not often unified. Moises Silva said, The true obstacle to Christian unity is not the presence of legitimate differences of opinion, but self-centeredness. The obstacle to unity in our churches is self-centeredness. The the obstacle to uh, unity in our churches is our own hearts. Ouch. That's humbling. Paul's asking for unity in the church body at Corinth. Why? Because Paul knows that disagreements are easy. It takes very little energy to disagree and fight with someone, right? You can even disagree and fight with someone before your morning coffee, can't you? Some of you did that today, didn't you? Some people aren't really alive before they drink their coffee. But even those kinds of people can fight and argue before coffee because it's just so easy to argue and disagree. It just bubbles up out of us pre-coffee. But unity takes work. It takes dying to sin. It takes the spirit. And my goodness, what does the church need more today than unity? We are divided in so many ways in our world, but if we do the hard work of being united as a church family, if the church universal could unite, then what we would find is that suddenly we would become a prophetic voice and a prophetic force in this very fractured world that we live in. When our churches are known not just for our robust theology, but also for our very healthy and unified church culture, then people will be greatly helped. As Jesus said in John 17, our tangible unity as disciples makes his presence known in this world. So get this, our unity actually makes it easier for people on the central coast to believe in Jesus. That's what Jesus is getting at in John 17. Think about that. Our unity as a church family makes it easier for the central coast to believe in Jesus and what he has done and to believe that we are his disciples. If we aren't unified, Jesus is still going to be Jesus. Jesus is still going to do Jesus things. But the central coast We'll never see it. So we desperately need the Holy Spirit if we're going to pull this unity thing off. Then Paul says, live in peace. No more fighting. No more lawsuits. They were suing one another. No more cliques. No more bickering. If the gospel brings anything to a church family, it should be peace. We have peace with God, so we should have peace with one another. And then what happens when the Corinthians do all of these things that Paul is telling them to do in this paragraph? He says next, and the God of love and peace will be with you. If they do all that Paul has said to them, they rejoice, they aim for resetting broken relational bones, they cheer one another on, they stop fighting, and they live in peace, then he says, God's going to be in your midst. 
God's presence will be tangible and real. You can feel it in the air. And isn't that what we all want for grace? Whoever shows up when we gather together, we want Jesus to be number one on that list, don't we? We want the real Jesus to show up at grace because he is the God of love and peace. And then we want people to feel it here. The Corinthians couldn't do anything to phase God's love for them. And we can't either. And so all this verse 11, the God of love and peace will be with you business, is a reminder to us that it is impossible for God's steadfast love to be intimidated by our failures. God has been dealing with sinful people since Genesis 3, so he's not phased by our failures. He's not caught off guard. He's not phased by the mess that's happening at Corinth. In fact, God is comfortable in our mess. He's comfortable plopping down in the middle of all the ugly situations that we create. He does not mind rolling his sleeves up and getting his hands dirty in sanctification. God's love is not threatened or intimidated by all of our shortcomings. In fact, it is in the context of our greatest fears and failures that God's love goes on display. And we see that most clearly at the cross, don't we? Mike Iaconelli says, What landed Jesus on the cross was the preposterous idea that common, ordinary, broken, messed up people could be godly. What drove Jesus' enemies crazy were his criticisms of the perfect religious people and his acceptance of the imperfect non-religious people. The shocking implication of Jesus' ministry is that anyone can be spiritual. Scandalous? Maybe. Maybe truth is scandalous. Maybe the scandal is that all of us are in some condition of not-togetherness even those of us who are trying to be godly. Maybe we're all a mess. Not only sinful messy, but inconsistent messy, up and down messy, in and out messy, now I believe, now I don't messy, I get it, now I don't get it messy, I understand, uh, now I don't understand messy. That's the church at Corinth. And that's us. In whatever state of not-togetherness we find ourselves or this church, it doesn't run Jesus off. The God of love and peace is smack dab in the middle of all of our mess. Jesus doesn't hold his nose when he shows up. Isn't that good news? He comes to transform us. But then Paul calls on the Corinthians to be authentic. He says in verse 12, Greet one another with a holy kiss. It was the custom in Paul's day to kiss one another on the cheek when you greeted someone like many cultures still do today. It's kind of like a handshake or maybe a fist bump, if you will. We struggle with this verse, though, don't we? Because we don't know what to do with it, do we? Greet one another with a holy kiss. Okay, right? Even those who fight for a very literal interpretation of every single Bible passage, they start sweating when they come to this verse. You can watch them squirm. Well, I mean, it doesn't mean, you know, literal, literal, literal. But that verse, uh, that's not... Okay, watch your hermeneutic. Our culture today 
would be uncomfortable with this, greeting one another with a holy kiss, right? This happened to me once in a church that I pastored in Texas about 13 or 14 years ago now. This sweet older saint came into my office one day, and she grabbed me by both cheeks. And when a sweet little old lady grabs you by both cheeks, you just stand there, okay? You don't remove their hands. You just stand there and assume the position. So she grabbed me by both cheeks, and she planted a holy kiss on my lips. She had my cheeks nestled securely between her wrinkled fingers, and she said in her very thick Texas accent, We are so glad God brought you and Heather here. I'm so happy. You're my pastor. And she planted a doozy of a holy kiss on my lips. And she didn't mean anything inappropriate by it. It was just an expression of her love and appreciation. And I think it's the closest I've come to experiencing a 2 Corinthians 13, 12, greet one another with a holy kiss. Let me be clear. I am not telling you to do this today, okay? Don't take my words as an opportunity to go up to some lady friend of yours that you're kind of sweet on and plant one on her lips because you might end up with a busted lip, okay? But whether or not we actually greet one another with a holy kiss, Paul's intention remains the same. He's saying, be real. That's what he's getting at. Be genuine in your relationships. Be real with one another. Don't be fake at church. As you greet one another, as you shake hands, as you fist bump others, don't be a fake. And then he says, all the saints greet you. This is a reminder that they belong to the church universal. Paul wants them to get involved not just in their church community, but to remember that they are part of the larger body of Christ. And so they should continue taking up the offering for the poor, suffering church in Jerusalem that Paul talked about in chapter 8 and 9. And one way that you can get involved in the church at large is remembering that there are Christians suffering around the world today. In fact, today is the International Day of Prayer for Persecuted Christians. And if you'd like to know more about that, you can see Jerry Hines, or you can visit the Voice of the Martyrs website at persecution.com. And you can be reminded to pray for your brothers and sisters in Christ who are suffering around the world. As Paul closes out this letter, he wants them to welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Where will the Central Coast see the glory of God? When we welcome one another. When we don't stiff arm one another or give each other the cold shoulder. They'll see it when we let people into our hearts. It's so easy for churches and disciples to have a sign on their hearts that says private property no trespassing. We don't want that. We don't want to have a sign over our churches that says, beware of dog. Let's take down those signs and let's welcome one another so that the glory of God goes on display here on the Central Coast. So circle this paragraph at the end of 2 Corinthians. Underline these verses Highlight them because this is what church family is supposed to be like. This is Sunday morning in three verses. 
We want you to experience these three verses when you come to grace. We want you to experience the felt love of the triune God in community here at Grace. We're celebrating the Lord's Supper today and all the elements of these three verses, rejoicing, restoration, comforting, agreement, peace, holy kiss, all come together when we eat the bread and drink the cup. The table before us is all the proof that we need that the God of love and peace is with us and that he welcomes us. The good news is that Jesus doesn't keep his distance when we draw near, and he doesn't hold his nose either. Some of you this morning are thinking, I can't come. If I show up to the table, Jesus is going to be like, what are you doing here? You can come. Bring all your baggage. Bring all your sin confess and just collapse into the arms of your Savior. He he draws near to us. Let's draw near to him. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for loving us so much. You know us better than anyone else, even better than our spouse. Jesus, you know us even better than we know ourselves. And yet you still draw near and you don't plug your nose. And that's so overwhelming, Lord, because we know our hearts, we know our sin. And so we confess that this morning. We want to repent and say, Jesus, forgive us. We've been living for us. We've been wanting our way. And we ask you to please forgive us and to wash us and to transform us. So by the power of your spirit, would you strengthen us by your grace as we eat and drink this morning. In your name we pray, amen.